When I had gone to prison, and I was still looking for a way to win. It didn't matter where I was at. I'm always focused on how do I win. Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I'm going to kick off with Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin. And as ever, as I tell you every show, I've not sold a single sat through Gemini yet. Why? Well, look at the price of Bitcoin. It's mooning. We're in a bull market. I'm selling my sats. Nobody's getting my sats cheap. And you know what? I've been using the Gemini app for buying the dips, but I also set up a DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin, and I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With a streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing, all through one clear, attractive interface. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com, which is G-E-M-I-N-I. Com. Next up, we have Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now listen, Bitcoiners, a hardware wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin. And I have been a Ledger customer since early 2017. And the Nano S I bought back then, I'm still using now. Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Lie software, which interfaces with your device. And you can even connect your Nano S to your Android phone to manage your Bitcoin on the go. If you want to find out more, please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. And next up, we have the amazing Compass Mining. And they're not just a sponsor. I am a customer of theirs. I am now back mining Bitcoin. And with this price rise, I've nearly covered the cost of one of my S19s. I bought five. So hopefully, over the space of a year, they'll all be paid off. It is so good to be back mining. You know what? I really like these guys. Compass makes mining accessible to everyone. And as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. It was so easy to get onboarded. And it can be easy for you. If you want to mine Bitcoin, you just pick your location, choose your hosting facility, and they do all the work for you. If you're interested in mining or you want to find out more, please head over to compassmining.io, which is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G.io. And also, let's talk about BlockFi who recently announced the launch of the BlockFi Rewards Visa signature card. Now, for people in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, then the BlockFi Rewards credit card provides the easiest way to earn more Bitcoin because you get 1.5% back in Bitcoin on every card purchase and there is no annual fee. Not just that, you earn 3.5% back in Bitcoin during your first three months of card ownership and 2% back on everything you spend over $50,000 annually. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Justin, how you doing, man? Doing good, man. How about you? All right, we can just laugh about it. Let's just admit, I'm an idiot. I didn't press record. <laughs> I'm going to blame Jeremy. Like, Listen, look, great to see you, dude. Uh, I've had a whole load of people get in touch with me. They're like... You've got to interview the Bitcoin vegan. That's maybe like for at least a year. And I kept ignoring it going, because I was a vegan, right? right? We could talk about that. I was a vegan for two years, vegetarian 16 years. Like mm. I find the subject interesting. Sometimes I thought of going back. But I was like, I don't want to talk to a Bitcoin vegan for an hour about being a vegan. And right. then someone connects us this week and they said, yeah, you need to talk to Justin. His story is insane. I get a copy of the book. I, I didn't have a chance to read it because of the time, mm. but I've, cool. I've skimmed it. I know some of the story. And you're also the first person to fly in for an interview. I usually fly, so appreciate you giving me your time. And dude, I'm looking forward to hearing your story, man. No problem, man. I appreciate you extending the offer to extending the offer for me to come here. Like when I read the text, I said, "Wow!" And it's like, how can I not say yeah? You know, you got to say yeah to certain things. Well, so we're here. We're doing this. So, like, all right, where the hell do we start with this story, man? <laughs> because I'm I want to hear about the bit where you went 
to prison. I interviewed mm-hmm. Charlie Schramm. Obviously, mm-hmm. you're probably going to talk to him at some point. You've got a similar bit of story there. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned a lot from him about that. But where does where does this story start for you? So this story for me, we're going to take this story back to like late 2016, my senior year in high school. Um, I remember coming home from basketball practice and my mom telling me that we lost the house due to like, um, kind of like that pre-housing pre, uh, market crash time. And I really didn't know what all was going on, but I was 16, about to be 17 years old. So um, from there, I had to transfer to a different school. I wasn't able to play basketball at all my senior year, and I was really training hard for that. Um, the same year, I had gone to a school called West Charlotte, and there I'm just hanging out with some of my friends I've known throughout Charlotte through my entire life. And my life took another turn when a friend of mine was killed at a party. Um, he was killed right in front of us. It was an uh, accident and shooting. And that also altered my mind a bit because, um, you know, we went. I went from losing my house, having your friend die, then actually witnessing it. So uh, that played a role on me for, for a long time, even does to this day. Uh, but from there, I was still able to graduate from high school. Uh, that, was, that was good. I had gone to this college called North Carolina A&T in Greensboro, North Carolina. And college was, it was all right, but I never really had a plan. I just went to college because that's what you're supposed to do. Wanted to get away from where I was, and A&T was a bit of a party school. So in my mind, it was just about just trying to find something calm or something just relaxing. I never, I never since say I lived an entire life of, you know, um, in the streets or anything, but just certain things take place and it just alters you at a very young age. So then, um, you know, I was in school. I was already at school. I even made the dean's list, but I dropped out of school. One day um, at A&T, I, at A&T, we would do a lot of partying, smoking weed, partying. But one time I was in class and the professor said, you know, you guys won't have a job available for five years after you graduate. And I was like, wait. What? Why not? So I'm supposed to graduate in 2011. Um, and then I was just like, man, this is some bullshit. I stood up. I said, y'all don't hear this? Like, because Sally Mae's going to want the money six months after graduation. So in my mind, I'm like, what are we getting set up for? I mean, so I decided to drop out. It was kind of probably a decision I shouldn't have made because I didn't have a plan. But I just thought, well, you know, I can go home and, you know, I can I can do what everybody else is doing to get money. Find a way to get some money. Never really had a plan. Would have just went out there and did it. And um, What were you studying? Business. Okay. Business administration. Um, so from there, you know, came back home, trying to find various ways to earn money. And you think what's happening around you is something you should have. You partake in. Like, you know how they say, be a product of your environment. Mm-hmm. So I was hanging around with folks and got caught up into a situation where it was like a home invasion. Um, I was told by a few friends, you know, guys might have money. And I was like, well, I just want money. I'm not even really here to hurt nobody. Um, but nothing was there, so I left them. And we all left. Eventually, the police caught up with me, and then I had gone to prison for three years. All right, we're going to have to go through the, if you caught a bit of that. <laughs> There's a lot there. Okay, uh, firstly, so... How serious was basketball for you at the time? Basketball was, I used to wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning every day during the scene, my rising senior year. Like I looked up to Kobe, uh, RIP, 
And I just remember how much he would talk about hard work, how much he would talk about just being uh, diligent to what you wanted to do. And so I was like, well, hell, if you want to get good, you just got to keep going. So basketball was serious. And when I couldn't play it, it was, I tried to just let it roll off, but I could tell like it really had a profound effect. But yeah, basketball was pretty serious. Were you a Hornets fan? Is it Charlotte Hornets? Uh, I live in Charlotte, but I'm a Lakers fan. Because of Kobe. Yes, yes. Because of Kobe. Well, also because of my uncle. My uncle, if you ask him who the best basketball player in the world is, he'll say Magic Johnson. So we grew up, he taught me how to play basketball, him and my cousin. And we were just like embedded to be Lakers fans. So if I ask you, who's the best ever? Kobe Bryant. He's the best? Better, the best. <laughs> better, better than Michael Jordan? You know what? Hmm. Mm. <sighs> I tell you something. I tell you something about <laughs> basketball. So I've been I've been to a few few basketball games, and it's a, it's a sport I've struggled with because uh, my sport's soccer. Mm-hmm. I like soccer and boxing, right? And pro- oh, you like boxing? Yeah. Oh, we can talk about that. We'll talk yeah. about that in a minute. I'm going yes. to fight on Saturday. Yeah. You going where? Wilder Fury. Yeah. You're not taking me. Well, we can talk about that. <laughs> we can talk about that if you want to go. We can talk about that. Right. Listen. So. Uh, and I'm being kind by saying soccer. It's really football, right? Mm-hmm. But football's a low-scoring game. Right. I've seen games which have finished like goalless, 0-0, mm-hmm. and have been great games. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most games are low-scoring. Like You're very lucky if you get like a 4-3 or 4-4. So it's a low-scoring game. Right. It's hard to score, whereas basketball is a high-scoring game. Mm-hmm. So I've, uh, I've been a few times. I've been to see the Knicks. I've been to see the Lakers. I saw Kobe right, play once. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel very lucky to have done that. Um, and I just really struggled to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just kind of gave up on it. I, I like US football, and I also like ice hockey. Ice hockey is the most similar to British football, I think, as a mm-hmm. sport. It's a lower-scoring game, and right. it's hard to score, and it's… It's like a lot of defense. At yeah. Time, yeah. But I watched the Michael Jordan Netflix series, mm-hmm. and that changed my understanding of basketball quite a bit. Right. Uh, I haven't had a chance to go since, but I now want to go. I didn't understand how good Michael Jordan was. All I knew he was was just like this hero in Chicago and mm-hmm. uh, and that, you know, he was so good that he had his own brand for Nike. Which, by the way, I've heard if Jordan was his own separate band, brand, it would be the third biggest sports brand behind Nike and Adidas. Uh, but I watched that and I got a much better understanding of the game of basketball mm-hmm. and how good he was. Yeah. And, and I've never seen anything paint Kobe as good as him yet. Right. Apart from people like you telling me hey, that. Hey, listen, I mean, Michael is the GOAT. Um, Michael is the GOAT. And you grow up, He's um, he went. He lived in North Carolina. So you grow up in North Carolina, it's all Michael Jordan. And uh, come down, when it comes down to it, reason why I would give it to Kobe, um, possibly because I'm biased, but it's just the fact that I feel like he 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 wanted it at a different level. Like he dropped fifty five points on Mike the night Mike was almost close to retirement. Like Michael Jordan would look at Kobe like, yeah, this this kid is a real deal, you know. So um, from that perspective, I don't know what Mike saw in Kobe, but what from what he saw, he has this respect to where Kobe Mike could be like, you know, this guy he could be the guy. And just the fact that he did it straight out of high school, like Michael. Um, we went to college for three years. Most guys back in those days, you went to college two or three years, all four years. Kobe came into the league, into the grown man league back then at 17, just ready to take on the world. So I think just from that level, which is why I give it to him. Um, just because I, I feel as if 
he would have gone through anybody just to get it. And that's that's the mentality you have to have. You got to be having the mentality to go through anything, no matter what comes up, no matter what's in the way. If everything is falling out to the lay side, you still got to walk on that goal because mm-hmm. you can't just sit here and say life happened. Life is always going to happen. So it must have crushed you a bit when he had his accident, dude. I cried for, I cried for about two weeks. Yeah. I actually dedicate uh, my book to Kobe. That was one of the things I noticed is when it happened, obviously it's huge news. I think I'm, was I here? I can't even remember where I was, mm-hmm. but uh, how it affected people here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it never got across the UK to me how big he was until obviously he passed. I knew he was a superstar, mm-hmm. but I didn't realize until that happened that it seemed to crush a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like Kobe, he, he, he was a man, but he died of culture. You know, like he gave you, he made it cool to be insane for what you want. You know, he made it cool. He made he made people see what real dedication is, you know, beyond anything. So, um, like, which is probably why I was in your uh, inbox a lot on Telegram. It's like, hey, Peter. Knock, knock. How you doing? Yeah. But we'll hit you up again. It's all right. I know you're busy. We'll keep going. Because at the end of the day, if you don't keep going, you, what are you going to get? Yeah. You're not going to get anything. All right. Before we get into this, let's talk about, <laughs> a bit about boxing then. Because I'm a big boxing fan. Listen, I learned how to box in prison. You did? Yes. Right, okay. That was, um, I talk about that in the book too, so. You learned how to box or you learned how to fight? I learned how to box in prison. Okay. Like it was, we were, um, so growing up, my mom put me in karate. I remember I won the nationals in karate in like 97. I didn't like karate though. Okay. Back in those days, it was all about Mike Tyson. Yeah. And so she was so afraid of, you know, well, you get hit in the head. I'm like, well, kids get kicked in the face in karate. Like, what's the difference? But, um. So I always had a love for boxing. But when I was at a particular prison uh, called Caledonia, I noticed that they allowed you to actually train on the yard. And so there were a few guys who had, like, like real boxing experience. And so I, w- um, I approached one of them. And I tell this one story in the book where, um, like, this one guy named was Magnetic. And we used to go to the yard. And they had, like, this basketball pole that was, like, solid metal. Had, like, a little cushion around it. And so we would wrap our hands with uh, socks and gardening hose. And that's how, that was the first punching bag I ever punched was a steel beam. I punched it so many times, my, my whole hand is shaped over. I mean, one time I couldn't write. But um, I, I, boxing in prison meant so much than, that, than what I thought. So when I came home, you know, uh, I joined the gym and... It's 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 a different level. So you still boxing? I still box. I haven't had any fights, but I still box. So who's your uh, who's your guy? <laughs> you mean actively or all time? Give me both. You know, all time is Mayweather. <sighs> is not it- sure, man. I'm not sure. Are you upset about the um, the Ricky Hatton? I was at that fight. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, the first fight I ever went to was Ricky Hatton Floyd Mayweather. In Vegas. Wow. Yeah, I was like 26, and you know, a bunch of us flew out for it. And the funny thing was, is uh, I had my friend's wedding mm-hmm. on the Friday, and the fight was on the Saturday. And I was like trying to say to my friend, say, can I leave the wedding early to catch a flight to Vegas? And he was like, uh, you're my best man. No. <laughs> so I had to fly on the morning of the fight, and I had to connect in. Where did I connect? I think it might have been Atlanta. 
wow. Yeah, and my flight landed three hours before the, the actual fight. Mm -hmm. So there was no room for error. Right. But luckily, I didn't go to the fight. Yeah. Uh, tell you a funny story about that. Uh, so obviously, Ricky had lost. Mm -hmm. And we... Uh, Sorry if my dad's listening. We went to strip club afterwards. We went to <laughs> Spearmint Rhinos. Right. And there was this big commotion. Mm -hmm. And then came Mayweather with his entourage. And I was with my uh, business partner, Ollie. And I said, listen, I'm going to go and talk to him. He's like, really? I was like, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> so I went up and said hello. And you know what? He was just so nice. Yeah. Like, and I said to him at the time, I was like, you're, you're, you're really, you're like a really nice guy. But on TV, you, you're like a bit of a knob. What's that that's about? And he's like, I'm just selling fights. Uh, mm -hmm. But he was really nice. And I got to meet him again at Bitcoin. 2022. Ah. So I like him. I think he's a great boxer. I don't think he's the greatest ever. But <laughs> there's one fight he 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 would have lost. Which one? He should have lost. There was the one fight. I can't remember the name. The guy was fighting. The ref pulled him apart. The ref was talking to him. The guy had his hands. Oh, you talking about uh, Victor Ortiz? Yeah, I yeah. think he was going to lose that fight. I tell you one thing, man. People ask me about that fight, and I say this: um, there's Floyd. Floyd. Again, when you when you stay focused and know exactly what it is, the one thing the referee says is um, hands up at all times. I know, I know all that. I know, I know all this. But I think he was going to lose that fight. I think I it was. Know, I think man. it was behind. He 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 was behind with the Marcos Maidana fight, and that's that's the first one. or second one. Definitely the first one. Because I was at the second one. I've, I've seen him twice. You just brought up the two. <laughs> I was at the second one because Amir Khan was on the undercard. Okay. So I went oh, out for that. yeah, I remember Amir Khan. Yeah. He had lightning fast hands. Yeah, he would have been he would have been a problem for Mayweather. Mm -hmm. You think so? Yeah, just because towards the end of Mayweather's career, he wasn't really knocking people out. Mm -hmm. And so if it comes down to points, he's fighting Amir Khan. They're both going toe to toe. Amir's fast. Amir can land. I mean, he's fast, but his chin was very. I know solid. he was suspect, but mm -hmm. it would have been a good fight. It would have been great. But, um, but I think he loses the Ortiz fight. I think he was going to lose that fight. I know it's controversial. <laughs> hey, it's all good. Well, listen, look, he... I think also, if you think best pound for pound at their peak, mm -hmm. I, I would say Tyson. Oh, Tyson? Really? At his peak. I would say this. Tyson, Tyson was an animal. But if you didn't fear Tyson, then he knew... If you didn't fear Tyson, then he feared you. Like when when I was watching the Holyfield documentary, mm -hmm. Holyfield said to himself, he said, man, this guy's nothing. And he said his mama gave him some of the best boxing advice. She said, you know, the cat likes to chase, or the cat likes to chase. Don't give him nothing to chase. And so I noticed that when he would go against guys who did not care nothing about him, I'm not going to say he folded, but we just didn't get the results that we thought we were going to get. But uh, yeah, Tyson, Tyson was a guy who put boxing on that level in the 90s. Mm -hmm. And now we have your other guy, Tyson Fury. Yeah, big fight. <laughs> Who's your money on? Money on? I want, I want Wilder to win. But if we're talking about money, I don't bet with my heart or emotions. I mean, if he wins, we get a fourth fight. Right. And they're going to retire each other. Yeah, but that's potential. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think Tyson Fury won both fights. I think he, you think so? Yeah, if, if you watch the first fight, he, it wasn't a draw. Um, <laughs> I, think with, I think without the knockdown in the last mm -hmm. round, Tyson definitely wins. Right. The knockdown was maybe what brought it that, back. That's, for, when I saw him get knocked down, I was like, all right. He's done. I, I thought he was knocked out. Then, like, he, he rose up off the canvas. I was like, damn. 
But I knew that right when that happened, that was going to be a draw because you, it was so tight. And, you know, referees nowadays. He came up like the Undertaker. Yeah, like, like just boom. I was yeah. like, Wow, I know Wilder was shocked himself, but I think I think he won that fight. The second one was convincing. I th mm -hmm. I think Tyson Fury is a better boxer. I think Tyson oh, yeah, Fury he definitely is definitely a boxer. He's one of the best big boxers. Yeah, like when he beat um, Klitsch, I watched him when he beat Klitschko. So I was at that fight. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't all the fights. When I watch him dancing around the ring, I said, "Who is this big dude dancing like this?" And just bow, 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 bow. You know, against Klitschko, he was uh, he was five to one on that fight. What, underdog? Yeah, no one gave him a chance. I, yeah, Klitschko was too stiff. He was too, he was, he just had that stiff look. And when it came down, when it comes down to it, I know if you have better footwork and you're at that size, he could just move. Like, he can move. It, he's going to be a problem for anybody. And, you know, you guys did hold all the belts in the heavyweight division. Mm -hmm. How you feel about Joshua? I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Josh. I don't dislike him. Mm. Um, I've seen him fight a couple of times. I saw him fight Klitschko at Wembley. And it was very early in his career. Mm -hmm. and he's fighting Wembley and he comes out for the fight and they have this uh, platform. Mm -hmm. And he walks onto this platform and this platform lifts him up in the sky and all these lights shine. And I was like, this is a bit early for this. Yeah. You, you yeah. know, I know you've, I know you're like the, the, the Olympic champion. He was a gold champion, I'm pretty sure. I know you're an Olympic yeah. champion and, and I know you're like the big Paul and you're selling out Wembley, but I, I only think he'd had about 10, 12 fights at that point. I'm not sure <laughs> the number, but it's yeah. just me and my son were watching it. I was like, this is too much right now. Mm -hmm. It's something you do maybe towards the end of you. Actually, I, I don't think it's something you ever do. I think it's mm -hmm. just a bit much. Um, and then obviously against uh, 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 Ruiz, he, oh, yeah. uh, we, we saw it. I thought chip. about actually putting money on Andy Ruiz. I, I looked at it I said, I should, then didn't even do it. Well, I think the reason he just lost his uh, last fight to Usyk is because mm -hmm. of the Ruiz fight. Because if you watch, he used to go out and just like punch people in the head and he just mm -hmm. got hit by a lucky punch. He got hit mm -hmm. by a worldie, by Ruiz. And then what happens is when he has the rematch with Ruiz, he, he can't lose that fight. Right. So if you watch it, it's the first time he really boxes. Mm -hmm. He uses his jab, he keeps his distance and makes mm -hmm. sure he can hold him back and right. he wins it on points. Right. I think what happens is he's carried a lot of that technique into the Usyk fight mm -hmm. and he's he's keeping off. He's trying to box him and he's he's more of a fighter than a boxer. Yeah. Whereas like Tyson Fury is more of a boxer than a fighter. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why he lost to Usyk and I think he has to go back to the drawing board and I think he can beat Usyk. But One thing Usyk did good was he used his feet a lot. Yeah. Like he always, he wasn't even running, but he was just always making sure Joshua turns. And if you know, like if you know how to use your feet and the next guy, he can't punch and move, and be effective like he wants, it's going to be a problem. Like another thing, I don't, I don't necessarily know. Well, he might have. I don't know how much experience Joshua had fighting uh, Hispanic fighters. Like so, I've boxed against Mexicans, um, Puerto Ricans, all all different types of Hispanic fighters, and they don't stop. You can hit them in the head. Mm -hmm. They could be flatline dead. This man will get up off the canvas. So, you know, this different. It was a different level of will. That. But when you're that size, Joshua, you've got to go and start punching. Yeah, and he, and he didn't, and it was I thought it was a poor performance. I think they all did. Mm -hmm. He's got a rematch, and if he loses that, I mean, I, I I'm trying to wonder how this goes now. Uh, Wilder can beat Fury; he just has to land a couple of big bombs. Mm -hmm. We know he can knock him down. Right. But I th I think the way this goes, I think Tyson Fury wins. Mm -hmm. I think Joshua then fights Wilder. 
I think Joshua has to beat Usyk mm -hmm. to get the Tyson Fury fight, but I think he might not. So I think he fights Wilder and then Fury fights Usyk and then gets all the belts and then retires. I basically hey, that that would be a that wouldn't be a bad idea. I mean, because Joshua messed up by not taking the fight when he had a chance with Wilder. Uh, you had a belt, Wilder held a belt. We could have got we could have gotten a fight. Everybody thought they could pull off the Mayweather Pacquiao um, strategy, and you cannot. Right? Mm -hmm. You cannot. Boxing is not that forgiving. Uh, so that's that sounds like a plan. I mean, if I was Tyson Fury at this stage, be undisputed. You beat everybody. Um, you don't have to fight Joshua, even though you might just do it for, you know, the fans. But I mean, hell, if you lose too many fights, you just lose your opportunity. And yeah. that was that's what it's looking like with Joshua. You know, you got two two losses. Very good, still fighter. But I mean, he probably he got a lot in the tank. But I heard people say, hell, he might he should start looking at retirement. But I don't know, man. Like Tyson Fury. But I think once he. If they do get the fight with Usyk, if he does get past Wilder, then there's probably no more he can do in the, in the heavyweight division. Is it referred to the, the um, undisputed champion? What's yeah. the? Is it the lineal champion? What was that? They like. I, I, I'm so bad with terms. They have so many different types. Lineal because he used to refer to himself as the lineal champion. I said, does that mean you got all the bells? Or? Nah, lineal. Lineal is like. So, um, I forgot what that was, but that undisputed. Once he gets undisputed, that's that's when he'll have. The WBC, the IBF, the IBO, yeah. uh, the WBA. So by then, he'll be the king of the boxing world. So do you want to come on Saturday? Hey, I'll go. Let me see if I can get you a ticket where we are. If I can get you a ticket, you come and you should come and join us. There's a good few of us going, right? I'll go. All right, listen, there's going to be a bunch of people listening going, what the fuck are you talking about? I want to hear for some Bitcoin <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah, um, all right, listen, this situation where your mom lost her house, mm -hmm. uh, that's obviously a terrible thing to go through as a kid and terrible for your mom. Mm -hmm. One of those awful situations, but... I guess that was like the first time you realized there's something wrong with the money, right? Mm -hmm. how, how much did you understand about what was going on? I At, at that point in time, I did not. Nope. Um, you know, I, I wasn't, I didn't really have any too much financial literacy on the matter. I just know that we lost the house uh, and we had to, you know, stay with a few friends and we were trying to get another house. So um, at that point in time, I didn't have I didn't have too much knowledge on how it all happened. It wasn't until I looked back later years where I could piece things together and really notice, like, damn, I I was affected by that housing market crash, even though it happened early. Now, one thing I will say that happened within that was I started trying to find trends early, like because it's like, all right, if, if we got hit up in two thousand six, two thousand seven, but everybody's talking about it from oh eight oh nine. I mean, there are precursors that take place that if you pay attention to those, that you can be ahead of the rest of the world. So that's how I opened up my mind to the situation. But at that present moment, I didn't know what to do. I guess you look back now and you understand mm -hmm. a little bit more. Okay, man, let's talk about... Let's talk about bars. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about, again, what happened. Okay, so... In with the wrong crowd or just... Wrong crowd situation, man. Yeah. Uh, people that I normally didn't even hang out with. Um, that was even a different crowd. Uh, so it was a, a situation where when you're that young, you're trying to figure out how do you... You think quick money is a thing, right? Kind of like how people doing shit coins. Shit coins, yeah. That's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. <laughs> shit coins think they can get quick money. But quick money never works. Nope. 
And that's what neither, another reason why Bitcoin was an easier decision other than shit coins. Because shit coins, and I know I'm going off, but shit coins just give you the feeling like you always got to do work. You got to be on this trend. You got to see this. You know, what the hell? But um, Well, Bitcoin's easy, right? You just buy, like the easiest strategy, mm-hmm. stack Bitcoin, put in cold storage, got to work, earn money. <laughs> that is the easiest strategy mm-hmm. and you can compound everything 200% a year mm-hmm. on average. That's the number we, we tend to say. I don't know if that will continue at that rate, but like it's a very easy strategy. Shitcoining mm-hmm. is a tough strategy because it's stressful. Should mm-hmm. I have bought? Should I have sold? Mm-hmm. Stressful. Then, then do I have liquidity? Do you even know what that means? Probably they don't. <laughs> but uh, with, with the house and that situation, um, I was just trying to find quick money. And my people, the people around me, Everyone seemed to think like, well, the only way you can be successful now is you have to go chase quick money. You have to go do something that that's pretty much illegal. And I tried that path. Um, so it was a was it? You say a home invasion? Is, is that a, a burglary? Like it's just like a uh, like a breaking and entering. Breaking and entering. Were you were you were you all armed? Um, yeah. Yeah. They were armed. Okay. And so, pretty serious yeah, stuff. It was serious. I was 20 years old, and um, when I really realized that, number one, wasn't nothing in this damn house. I'm like, wow. Like, what have you gotten yourself into? Was there anyone there at the home when you went? There was someone there. There was someone there. Wow, okay. And so, um, you know, after a while, I'm just like, man, I left. Um, The person, one of the person lost the keys to the car. I'm like, bro, you know what? I'm gone. Like, it's, it's nothing here, and it's not what I thought. Okay. So that reality hit in that moment. And then from there, I had gone on the run a few times, just going from different places, different friends' house, staying on couches. And then when I had come home one weekend, I remember getting a knock on the door, and my mom said, uh, it's the police. I said, damn. So... Um, the first thing I did, I, I threw my remote control halfway around the room. I didn't want them to think I had a gun. And then they came in the house with guns drawn, asked me to show my hands, and I just surrendered. Um, and that's when the process of me going to prison started. Okay. What happened with mom, though? Oh, well, oh. Did she lose her shit? I actually told her before the police got there. Okay. Um, it just started getting to me like, damn, I can't keep holding this from my mom. Okay. If it's anybody in the world, I don't mind telling, I gotta tell my mom. Okay. Because I didn't want, I didn't want that, that I didn't want it to be that surprising. So I did tell her uh, way before it happened. And then um when it did happen, you know, it was it was a reality check. And that's just when I like I said in the book, I said one time, this is when I really knew I fucked up. Like, because the worst thing was how my mom was looking. Mm-hmm. And I know, the look of a mom. Yeah, and I, I was like, damn, I don't want her to believe that she failed as a mother. You know, I just made the wrong decision, and it cost. So yeah. Okay, so you get arrested. Do you get bail, or is it just like a straight? We got bail. I got bailed okay. out. Like I got bailed out. Um, and but that process of going to prison, like once you're in that process of the system. You your mind goes through a lot of different things. You know, sometimes you're... It's kind of like, let's look at it like this. Like, since COVID, how many times have you thought like, oh, I can go do this, I can do that. But then you got to remember like, oh, man, 
you know, we got this COVID thing going on. We don't know how this is going to go. So what you perceive as normal has now been shifted. That's kind of the same for me. I was like, well, yeah, you know, we can go out and we can hang out. We can do this. But it's like, I can't make plans past a certain time period because I don't know what's going to happen. You were always going to plead guilty? Um, I actually didn't necessarily think about it. Um, after, the, after a while, I was actually approached with a deal because um, everyone that was involved started pointing fingers. And I was just like, well, I didn't necessarily want to plead, but it was just, really, I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And it was to the point like, all right, well, what if I take it to trial? You know, didn't know what to do. So eventually I just said, well, when it came down to it, I was already somewhere in my mind prepared to go to prison. And you get to a point where you're just ready to get it all over with. Okay. So how, how much time did you get? I got three years. Three years. From 21 to 24. And do you remember the moment where they're like, when they handed that down? Oh, yeah. I remember the moment. Uh, the judge, this is why a lot of things, a lot of people can say things to me that won't really matter. I remember a judge, well, you know, Justin, it looks like you, you're trying to, you know, do some good work in the community. You want to turn your life around. But you know, man, this is a home invasion. And so um, I got to send you to 20 to 33 years um, consecutively. And in my mind. Months. Uh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Jesus. Jesus Christ. Dude. Yeah. I yeah, 20 to 33 months. You'd have gray hair if we didn't have <laughs> And uh, so um, I was like, okay. I thought consecutive meant concurrent. So I thought, all oh, right, I can do a year and eight months. It's cool. That's what's up. The attorney I had came back there. I said, so yeah, you know, I'll be out a year, eight months. This is great. She said, no, consecutive means they, they run together. And so she said, no, it means you do one after the other. Yeah. And I'm like, so what do you mean? She said, I said, I said, 40, 12, 24. I said, you mean I got to do three years in this motherfucker? She said, yeah. And I was like, damn. So when that set in, my mom came down to the bullpen area, crushed. And, you know, I think something just turned off, like nothing bad. But she said, you know, so what are you going to do? I said, well, I just got to go. I'm going to go to prison, grow dreads, and I'll figure it out in three years. And that's where that whole entire journey took place. Um, going to prison, going to the youth spread. You're hearing everybody say, you know, this is what's going to happen. You got to do this or this, that, and third. And somewhere in my mind, I'm thinking, like, I'm not about to go through none of this shit y'all are talking about. Like... I wasn't a gang member. Like, I didn't mind fighting, but when I had gone to prison, I started noticing, like, I still noticed a place where I could win. And I was still looking for a way to win. It didn't matter where I was at. I'm always focused on how do I win. When I got locked up in prison on the way there, I was just thinking, like, well, Justin, hell, you hit rock bottom. There's nowhere to go but up. So how are you going to even figure out how you're going to go up while in prison? You know, how are you going to figure out how to win while in prison? You know, if you have three years to do this, then what are we going to put together? Because, you know, another favorite athlete of mine is Tom Brady. And you like, Tom? I mean, <laughs> he's a bit of a shit coiner now, isn't he? <laughs> no, I like Tom. 
how can you dislike Tom Brady? He's like he's he he's the only sports like pro sportsman, elite sportsman by age, probably mm-hmm. like yeah. up there, and, and uh, still he, winning, dude. He crushes it. Like uh, he's a nice guy. Mm-hmm. He's married to one of the most beautiful people in the world. Like he's he's everything. Mm-hmm. No, I like Tom Brady. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the only, I mean the only thing was it, like it. The thing I like about U.S. sports is the draft system. Mm-hmm. It means you distribute the winners a mm. bit more. Whereas in the U.K., we don't. It's just the same teams mm. winning the Premier League all the time. Okay. Like we had this team, Leicester, who won a few years ago, which was this miracle. Absolute <laughs> sporting miracle. But otherwise, it's going to be Liverpool, United, Chelsea, Arsenal, uh, uh, Man City, and never Tottenham, but mm-hmm. like any of the others. And uh, um, so the only thing was it just felt like the Patriots were always winning. Hey, just man, like, you oh, gotta, like, you gotta do. Hey, I'll tell you this. I actually like the first time I decided what NFL team I was gonna like. It was in '97. It was the Green Bay Packers versus New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. Drew Bledsoe was a quarterback. Reggie White was sacking them all over the damn field. And someone said, "Well, if you're gonna choose a team, you might as well choose one now." I said, "I'm gonna choose the blue team." I chose the Patriots in '97. They got the ass whooped in the Super Bowl. Then a few years later, they get their first one. Then we do six more. But uh 49ers is who I picked. So when when they first started showing football in the UK, we used to get uh, one game on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. And it was back when uh I, th- I got the tail end of Joe Montana mm-hmm. and there was Steve Young, Jerry Rice. And mm-hmm. I was just like, all right, I'm gonna go with them. <laughs> they're cool, they're winning. Yeah. And so like within the, you know, when I was looking, I always I, one thing I liked about sports though, I would like how like even Kobe was he'll he'll pull games back. Like how do you come mm-hmm. back? There's almost an art to how like comebacks. Like you can't really explain it, but Tom has a way of coming back. You know, it's just you notice I started I started you watch so many games and winning that okay, yeah, we won six Super Bowls at that time we won like three Super Bowls at the very end, but it's like where do you start noticing the shift? Like I said earlier, it's always a shift. So I had to just start focusing on that shift. And when I got to prison, this is the shift. So it's like now you got to piece together how are you going to come back. It doesn't matter that you're here. When, when was it that you went in? What, what year? 2011. 2011. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, which, where, which prison did you go to? Which, where did we send to you? So I was first, I had first gotten sent to a youth spread called Polk Correctional Youth Institution. And those, they housed like people 21 and under. Okay. And so then um, from there, I had gone to this one prison called Craggy, which is in Asheville, North Carolina. I actually got kicked out of there. Uh, that was funny. You got um, kicked out of prison? Yeah, I got kicked out of prison. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to work, man. <laughs> they were like, yeah, you got to do road squad. Like, man, I'm not here to work. Man. I'm here to do time. And we ain't going to be able to do it here. So then they sent me on to a prison called Mountain View. I was there for several years. I was there for like a year and some change. Um, that's where I did a lot of like deep dive studying of myself. I started like training hard, like just just doing the time. And also, <laughs> this is a, this is a real funny story. We used to do, we used to always hustle, always hustle. Like you always had commerce going on. If your parents, if your family can't send you no money, you have to be able to hit that yard every day and go out there find a way to do business, whether that's selling gambling tickets. Um, lending out canteen, you know, like a lending platform, but just how do you always keep money circulating? And that was something that really just kept my mind off of things. Like it was a constant cycle, working out, you know, hustling on the yard, doing business, whatever. 
just every single day. And that translated into what I do now, you know. So, um, but when I had gone to prison, my only focus was how the hell am I going to get better at life? I already made a decision not to come back here. So we're going to have to do something that's going to put us on a different level when we get out. So um, when people ask me, you know, so what you going to do when you get home? I said, bro, I don't know. I don't know what's out there. People would send me letters saying, man, much change, but hell, Bitcoin's around the whole damn town. Okay, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. Let's talk about Exodus Wallet, who I am using as my mobile and desktop wallet for my Bitcoin. Now, regular listeners know, especially the ones who hear these ads every week, UX is super important to me. I think UX makes Bitcoin a lot easier for no coiners to come in to learn about Bitcoin and use Bitcoin. So when Exodus reached out to me, I spent some time playing with the app and they crushed it, which is why I'm happy to recommend it to you, my friends and my family. Now, Exodus Desktop gives you a way to secure and manage your Bitcoin in one beautiful application. And with their mobile wallet, you can send and receive safely using a QR code or address known that Exodus automatically checks all addresses for errors. So make sure you check it out yourself at exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. Also, let's talk about Casa, the safest way for you to store your Bitcoin. Now, listen, Bitcoin's mooning again. And if you have not got a Casa multi-sig wallet, it's something you really should be thinking about. Because forgotten passwords, SIM swaps and phishing attacks, there are just too many ways for your Bitcoin to be lost or stolen. But with a Casa multi-sig wallet, you never have to worry about your Bitcoin again. Because a Casa multi-sig wallet allows you, as a Bitcoiner, to take custody of your Bitcoin. But you only move Bitcoin by signing transactions from multiple wallets. And you get to distribute these wallets into different locations, which is going to protect you from a range of mistakes, errors, and vulnerabilities. Now, I've been a customer for over a year, so if you've got any questions, you can hit me up in my DMs or drop me an email. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. And lastly, let's talk about Sportsbet.io, the very best place for online gaming. Do you know why? Why they accept Bitcoin. Yes, you can deposit your Bitcoin on Sportsbet.io and go out there and make a few bets. Now, the football season is well underway. It's been a great start. Liverpool doing pretty well. Tottenham have had a ropey middle bit. It's kind of going how we want it. But look, even if you don't like football, Sportsbet have got you covered. Alongside football, they support tennis, they support motorsports, US sports, they even have esports. And for new customers, they always have a range of promotions available. So if you want to find out more, please head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T.io forward slash promotions. So, in jail, did you have to deal, like, how rough were these prisons? Were they middle um, road? Most they... prisons were, so, they were medium custody prisons. I never I never got to go to a lower custody prison. I actually got in a fight, and that uh, that stopped me from being able to go. I never went to a higher custody prison, but the prison I was in, one of the, one of the roughest prisons on probably other people was this prison called Caledonia. Um, that's the same prison I learned how to box in. Okay. And there, um, I mean, I've seen guys. I had a roommate one time. He he said, man, this dude is getting on my damn nerves. I'm going to hit him with a lock in the sock. I'm like, oh, all right. And then one day he came in the room. He had like a master lock in his sock. The guy was still messing with him again. And he just hit him in the head with it. And um, it was some blood in the room. I cleaned it up. I said, bro, you got to act normal as possible when they come in here. They ended up, um, you know, sending him to the hole. He told him I had nothing to do with it, but, like, I've seen some wild stuff. Um, this one guy, 
he, he, I think he either slashed, he did something. He cut a guy or stabbed a guy uh, just so he could be, you know, have some gang rank right before he was going home. Um, it was, I've, I've seen a lot of crazy stuff in there. It was, but most of the prisons, like I said, Mountain View was pretty even going. Caledonia was, it was still easy going, but you could tell like any moment something could happen. You're obviously a smart dude. You're obviously one of those people who it was only going to be a one one time trip to prison, right? You're not going to mm-hmm. you're not going to end up back there. But people do end up in the cycle. Mm-hmm. What, what what did you learn from the inside about prisons and what works, what doesn't work? Uh, one thing I learned about prison was like um, when you mean work, just like in life or like yeah, like what, what you know because. In an ideal world, we wouldn't have a lot of people in prison, certainly not right. nonviolent criminals. Mm-hmm. Um, I just did a previous interview with a guy called Auric, uh, uh, and we were talking about, originally we were talking about the um, the medical uh, system and how that works and uh, why it doesn't work in the US. And the main reason being is most of the hospitals is where the money goes to and and uh, it's not popular for a politician to try and make these more efficient because they're one of the biggest recruiters. And it just reminded me of this story where I spent some time with Lynn Albrecht, Ross mm-hmm. Albrecht's mother, and you know she works on prison reform and mm-hmm. the idea of prison reform. And she said a lot of the prisons are the largest employers in the towns they're in, so there's no mm-hmm. incentive to reduce the prison population. Mm-hmm. You know, it is a it is a uh, an industrial mm-hmm. uh, yeah. A, a yeah. unit. So. In an ideal world, you'd have people reformed in prison, leave in prison, and you know, being educated and not going back. Mm-hmm. And also, you would be trying to have lower sentences or no sentences for nonviolent criminals. Different mm-hmm. ways of of uh, rehabilitating people. What did you learn from it? Well, number one, um, I actually met Miss Lynn Albright too. Yeah, she's um, great, right? Yeah, she's a great woman. Um, so one of the things I learned is exactly how you said, um, and I agreed with uh, Lynn as well. All the prisons I had gone to were in like these small towns, right? And so the entire town works at the prison. And they would say like, you know, hell, I've been here, working here 10 years, so it's felt like I've I've been locked up five years. These were the people who worked there would say. So on that end, there is really no incentive. However, the real incentive is the people who make money off of prison. You know, like... Um, I think the state of North Carolina would make like $36,000 per inmate per year. So that's a lot of damn money. Um, I noticed that part. And I noticed that that money, like you're actually put into a system where you see like, hey, we're not going to give you shit. We're going to get all the money. And you not, and you know you're not going to get nothing. Um, I worked jobs in prison that paid a dollar a day. Um, a dollar a day. I mean, a dollar, one dollar. It's like, what? a few cents an hour. So um, I noticed that a lot of a lot of times you have prisons where the work that the prison... Prison is actually legal slavery. Yeah, uh, they it's a give, factory. Yeah, they give you... They actually have been granted uh, permission to say that and do that. Like, as a, for instance, there is uh, this, this program where guys would actually go build the prison and they'll pay the guys $15 a week and I'm like, yo, this is a $15 an hour at the minimum job. And look how much they're saving for inmates to build their own prison. And so the money from that, the prison keeps the, the, the operators of the prison keep the difference. 
I think the operators of the prison, or the, either that, or they are able to pay whatever company is going to help train, you know, those guys who get paid $15 a week. Um, I don't know such. where all the money goes, but when you really start looking at it, there's a lot of money that goes there, and it's on purpose. It doesn't go to the inmates. It doesn't go to anybody being rehabilitated. It just goes to the pockets of whoever is there. It's such an obvious scam. <laughs> like, it's such an obvious scam. Yeah. You, you put people in prison, you give them jobs, you pay them a dollar. Did you say a dollar an hour or a day? I got paid a dollar a day. A dollar a day. So that accounts to like, what's, what's eight divided by 24? Something like five cents an hour. Right. We go with five cents an hour for eight hours, almost like. So, and that's, you have like a few dollars to spend in the, what's it called? The, the canteen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, some, there's obviously incentive for someone, whether it's the prison, maybe it's the, you know, what kind of things were you doing? What kind of work? Were you making shit? Uh, so, I was a baker, <laughs> I uh, was a prep cook, I washed dishes. I basically worked my the only time only type of work I did was in the kitchen. But that's internal for running the prison. What what about because are there firms who are like outsourcing production? Oh, into, um, well, in North Carolina, at the prisons I was at, I can't say which firms there were like precisely, but I do know of like, let's see, I think the most more times or not it happens with the state. Mm. Like so, you like let's take for instance road work. So I did do that at least one time. Normally, that road work squad, road squad, that's for the city, that's for the county, that's for the state. So most of the work that inmates do, they are going to be for that state. Now, whomever that state prison, whatever companies might fund that state prison, then they might receive proceeds down the line on, 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 the, uh, on that front. But more times than not, the work you're doing is for the state of North Carolina. Like they have, they have positions where you could be a butler for the governor. Um, yeah, I didn't want that, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's from what I remember, most of this stuff was just for the state. Right. So you would go clean up the yard. You got to go anything you're gonna do. I, I think one guy they were canning uh, food on this one farm, and this farm produced food for all the other prisons in the state. So um, you would have these like private companies some that you probably will never know about and they they're having whatever whatever or arrangement they have worked out the incentive um, structure to have a business of prisons it just seems wrong mm-hmm. it just seems it's open for abuse it is um, it's open for a monopoly well listen I'm glad you're out uh, yes sir tell me about the day you got out <sighs> the day I got out of prison man what's the first thing you did What's the first thing I did? Okay, when I got home, I remember my mom had made some food. I ate that shit cold as hell. I didn't even wait for it to heat up. Um, I had I had a phone, and the first thing I did, man, I just I was just I really experienced what uh, gratitude was. You know, I just I just like y'all just want to feel what it's like to be home. Like I didn't go out. I think I stayed up to like six. I stayed up all night, but I just wanted to remember what it was like not to have to wake up for count time. I just wanted, I was just, I was just in the middle of gratitude. So it wasn't no big crazy party or nothing. It was just like, damn, like it's finally over. And now the journey really begins. So when was, when did Bitcoin come into this for you? Was it, <laughs> was it while you were in 
No, nah, it wasn't while I was in prison. So Bitcoin came in several uh, plays. So I came home in 2014. 2015, I first see the movie Dope. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really click over that it's legit. Uh, but it started happening when... Now, this is the one part I'm trying to remember. I think... Um, so, you know this guy. One day I'm in Charlotte. I'm at a gas station. I'm walking up and I hear somebody say, Justin. I'm like, who the hell is that? He said, it's me, Isaiah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. Isaiah Jackson. He wrote the book Bitcoin Black America. Mm-hmm. So, I've been knowing Isaiah since I was 11 years old. Oh, right. Okay. We grew up playing basketball together. Um, Who's better? Me. Come <laughs> on. Like, I'm better now. <laughs> Will he agree? Will I ask him? I mean, he should, but he won't. I'll dial him up now and say, look. Call him. <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, in 2021, I made 13 threes and flip-flops at the three-point shootout. So, you know, I'm, I'm all right. So, uh, but he was saying... Is that 13 in, in a straight? Or? Like, I didn't make them all straight, but I did catch fire then. I think I made like six in a row. Okay. But, you know, it went down to Bitcoin 2021 history. <laughs> uh, so, what else happened? Um... But from there, I was just like, all right, man. You know, we were catching up. He said, how you been? I was telling him about, you know, I just come off prison, this, that, and the third. And he said, all right, follow me on Instagram. Bitcoin Zay. I'm like, all right, whatever. And so then um, a few, I think a week, so a month passed by. I'm at my granddaddy's house, and he has a minor, like old school minor. And I was like, what is that on the table? He said, Justin, it's going to mine me some Bitcoin. <laughs> And my granddaddy's like 80-something, you know what I mean? And, and I was like, okay. And my mom and aunt were laughing at him. But I looked at him like, like I was fresh out of prison. I'm like, well, what if he's right, though? I said, what if he's right? How the fuck did he get into Bitcoin mining? <laughs> That's what I want to know. I don't know. We Later, after he passed, we found out that it wasn't mining any Bitcoin. <laughs> but he would, like, my granddaddy was a very, like, disruptive, innovative type okay. of person. Okay. He bought stocks in the Microsoft in the 90s, Enterprise. He sold, he didn't huddle, but it was all good. Um, but from there, I'm looking. I looked it up. It looked legit. Um, but my real introduction to Bitcoin is getting scammed. Right, okay. All right, so I remember it was this company called, well, not a company. It was this uh, site called coins.com. Mm-hmm. They were called. They were claiming to be a British lending platform that you can receive compound interest over this time. Blah blah blah. I'm like, okay, you know. My mom told me about it. Seemed legit. I said, let's try it out. I told Zay. I said, man, listen, man, check this out, bro. How you think this, this is gonna work? Zay said, you're about to get scammed. Yeah, of course they are. Yeah. So <laughs> then I said, how you know? He said, ask for your money back. I asked for my money back. Email stopped coming. All this stuff. He said, I told you. And I said, all right, well, I didn't care that I got scammed, though, um, mm-hmm. because people get scammed. You were getting scammed with fiat before Bitcoin, but you didn't stop using it. So I was like, all right, well, and I knew Zay was legit. I said, Zay right. is legit, yeah. man. So I was like, all right, Zay. And this is 2016. So I was like, all right, man. I'm like, yo, I'm ready. Just what do I need to do? So one day um, I went over to his house. We were just hanging out. Um, and he said, all right, well, this is what Bitcoin is. It's a decentralized currency. No, he said, he said in this order, he said, well, it's like gold. If you hold it over time, it'll go up in value. Uh, you can spend it like money, you know, kind of like regular cash. He said, and it's decentralized, so it's outside of government regulation and control. And I was like, that decentralized part yeah. stuck out. 
Outside of gun control. <laughs> tell but me I'm more. Gonna tell you what, I'm going to tell you why tell I stuck more. out, though. So in prison, like I said before, you have to do a lot of hustling. Yeah. Now, you have ID cards, and if your family can't send you no money, well, you have an ID card, but it's kind of like a debit card. If they send you money, you can swipe it at the canteen to use it. If they can't send you money, then you have to use another currency. That currency was stamps. And so we would have small, like, postage stamps on the yard. That was, that was money. Um, and so I think that at that point in time, the U.S. postage stamp was like 44 cents. And so on the yard, we cut the price to like 30 to 35 cents. So everything was a bit cheaper, but the value was stamps. So we were, I was already used to using uh, decentralized money, as you will, in a closed economy amongst people. Interesting. So, so when he said, when he said that, I'm like, my mind, like I would sometimes, I would, when I'm trying to learn something new, I would place it in an environment I've been in. So I was like, well, let's look at it. Like if I put Bitcoin in prison, how would that look? That's how, you know, it would just go around like that. So I said, well, shit, this can work. Like Bitcoin was like seven years old then. I said, yeah, Bitcoin can work. Well, like, this can work because I, I was already in a field where you aren't really using the said currency. You have people who had a consensus saying like, hey, this is what we're going to use. So I was like, all right, yeah, this can work. This could work. So from there, um, that was the introduction, man. And when was that? Like 2015? I bought my first sats July 9th, 2016. 2016. Right. And the type of jobs I was working, Bitcoin was around six hundred dollars then. Yeah, I remember. I still couldn't buy a whole bit. If I bought a whole Bitcoin then, I probably wouldn't have no more money for the rest of the month. Yeah. So I was like, it didn't matter though. Um, it never mattered. So when when I first bought some Bitcoin, I never I had never seen like my money just move like that. I was like, damn, this is what investing is like, you know, seeing what this was like. And I was like, all right. But then I started looking at something deeper. I uh, ran to this other guy, name of uh, Miller L. D. Miller L. And we would we would he would teach me about Bitcoin all the time too. And then I started looking at something past the money. I said, there's an opportunity here. Because I remember I was with my daughter and I said, man, I got tired of working all the dead-end jobs. I used to work $12 an hour, 12 hours a day. I seen a guy get like a light bulb bust in his eye, no insurance. So they weren't really treating you fair. And I was like, all right, cool, but we got to do something different. So How was your daughter? Now she's five. She's five. Right. You missed that, bet. Huh? Have you got one kid? No, I have a little boy too. And how was he? He's one. Woohoo, you're in that zone. Yeah. He's he's whooping ass too. Yeah. My uh my son's 17, my daughter's eleven, but it's uh <laughs> man is fun. It's 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 gonna get there. He's he's finally going to bed at nine. So we, we <laughs> might I gotta write that out. But um so from there, I was like, all right, well let's see how how am I gonna get more Bitcoin. That was it. It was yeah. all about buying Bitcoin because I saw the opportunity. Like I said, I remember walking with my daughter, I said, Yo, I need to be somewhere early. My question was, how are all these people getting billions of dollars? How is Zuckerberg getting this money? How is Bezos? How is Elon? How are these people getting this money? Like, how are they doing this? And then I started realizing something I was I was looking for was those trends again, like being early. So I said, yo, I remember before I learned about Bitcoin, I said, man, I just need to be involved in something that if I get there early enough, it could change my life forever. And so when Zay was telling me about it, I would look online. 
I asked some guys I had gone to school with who graduated, and I live in Charlotte, so Charlotte's like a big finance city. And I'm asking people around, everyone's dogging Bitcoin, it's nothing, it's trash, it's this. Those are my indicators. Are, man. Yeah. And those are my indicators to go. I'm like, all right, well, y'all aren't that smart because billionaires like Branson, Mark Cuban was actually for Bitcoin at this time. Uh, I remember a guy named Trace Mayer. A lot of guys were talking. Trace Mayer, man. <laughs> oh, you know what? I miss Trace. I do. I miss Trace. Right. I've interviewed him three or four times. Um, and I still don't know what fully happened at that mm -hmm. uh, event in Vegas where he was like shilling some shit going. And I don't know why, like in my head, he was like, this guy's, this guy's like rich. Like, what's going on? I, mm -hmm. And I, I've tried to reach out to him. I've messaged him. No reply. Uh, I know he did a coin desk I want to talk to him. I, I miss Trace. I know he fucked up in people's mm -hmm. eyes, but I want to know why. Yeah, you got to find out He's why. smart. Because I remember he was the first guy I ever heard say, hey, what if America put 1% of their national debt into Bitcoin? I heard this in 2016. I was like, damn. Wow. They wouldn't, they wouldn't have this $29 trillion deficit. Yeah. So I'm like, all right. So I'm hearing these guys talk. I'm like, well, let's run with what these guys are saying. And then... Um, that's where that's where I started noticing how life was really taking off. Um, I would call Zay. I would call my friend D, my boy D, almost every day. I remember I would be, because in prison, one thing I learned, I knew how to do was learn. If you ever ask me what's my what I'm the one percent at, it's learning. Mm -hmm. I focused on increasing the skill of learning. So when it came to Bitcoin, I was like, man, yo, I, I was in my mom's basement. You'll probably see me, like how they say, a shadowy coder. I'm just on YouTube learning Bitcoin, trial and error, everything. I, um, like I said, I used to go out and teach people just simple ways to set up a wallet. Um, I remember one time I asked someone, yo, how can I get some Bitcoin? He said, well, sell some Bitcoin. I don't have any. He said, they don't know that. Tell them you're going to go buy them some Bitcoin, put a premium on it, and keep the Bitcoin. I did that before they did, before the feds deemed that illegal. Right. So, yeah, but... Um, it was always about getting Bitcoin, man. I, I remember I, I... It's like It sounds like it's back to the hustle of the prison yeah, yard. But it was different because I had a money that worked. And I noticed it from the get-go. I was just like, yo, this thing shoots up. I remember when I was first buying it around $600. And it, it had gone up. It had crashed badly. I figured, Well, it didn't crash that bad. But when I was buying it then, it started rising up. You know, you got the whole 2016, 2017 run. Dude, July 2016 is a good point to hit. So I knew it because I, f I first bought my first Bitcoin 2013, maybe even 2012. I can't remember the dates because mm -hmm. I was using the Silk Road, right? Mm -hmm. But I wasn't hodling. I wasn't studying it. I was buying. Mm -hmm. buy, my, <laughs> buy my gear. Yeah. And then get on with my life. And I did some trading. I bought, mm -hmm. you know, some and lost some and yada, yada. But I didn't really pay any attention to it. My first, by the way, my first Bitcoin was, I think, 80 pounds. God. So I should go and track the price back. It's 2012, 2013. Then it crashed. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, this thing's dead. Mm -hmm. And I used to just like keep going back every now and again, looking at the price. And it went all the way down to like, what, 250. Then it started going back up. I was like, oh, I wonder if it is. And for different reasons, my ivory bought December 16. Mm -hmm. It was a good time, man. Mm -hmm. you, any, anywhere around that time, yeah. you were good through to the end of 17. Yeah. And so when it, it was going up, going up, 20K range. I was like, this is the most money I ever had. Mm -hmm. And then... Yeah, I know what's coming. That bear kicked yeah. in. And I was just like, whoa. Whoa. And the bear market was where 
I was really made. Because um, folks stopped talking about Bitcoin. And so I had to look for different ways of entrepreneurship, like I did coaching. I used to cook vegan food and deliver it out my house to okay. buy to earn Bitcoin. I um I used to cut grass. Like only thing I could think about was if I buy more of this now, I'll be better off later. You know, so I, dude, I love the bear market. <laughs> I love I wish it'd come back. Yeah, that 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 period from top to bottom is always rough mm-hmm. because you have to go, right, I have to accept my net wealth is gonna drop by this much. And mm-hmm. maybe you sell a bit. But like the real work's done in the bear market. It's like mm-hmm. it's the education, it's the mm-hmm. business growth, it's personal mm-hmm. growth. This this it's too busy to do stuff in a, a bull market. It's too much crazy shit going mm-hmm. on. I, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I don't know if we'll have one like previous. You know, maybe the cycle breaks. But I've really enjoyed the bear market. I I I can look back on the bear market and just pray for another one. But because I was I was in a different like I I, I would buy Bitcoin, but I was still. Bitcoin was my introduction to the financial literacy world. Mm-hmm. Like before Bitcoin, I had no investments. Only thing I ever had was a checking in the savings account. So I didn't really understand what was going on, but I knew that, you know, that Bitcoin was was something that could work. So then I started, well, I got tired of getting like intellectually beat up by financial um, um, advisors or people. So I went to go look at, you know, different markets. Didn't necessarily buy, I just want to get educated on what was around yeah. me. You figured um, it out yourself. Yeah. So, uh, like, I got denied life insurance three times because of my record. And my agent said, so, you know, what are you going to do? Like, well, shit, I'm just going to keep buying Bitcoin. I mean, pretty much you're doing the same thing. I'm giving you money. I got to wait for a return on it. But you get to hold it. Why can't I just do this? I already have an asset that's doing this. You know, so I started comparing it to other assets out there. It still didn't stack up well. Or nothing stacked up well to Bitcoin. I had to learn how to keep it um, because there was also a time like I knew I had to I had to develop myself into a better uh, entrepreneur, better because I knew I was going to do entrepreneurship. I wasn't about to do any jobs. I had to do entrepreneurship. It was no other way. So I had to get better at that. I had to get better at networking. I had to get better at sales calls. I had to get better at all of this type of stuff within that bear market time because I knew the type of money I was making then. If once Bitcoin keeps rising, these little bitty Buys here are not going to add. I mean, they add up, but, you know, after a while, you start thinking like, damn, you know, I want to flip 10 million Satoshis yeah. at a time. DCA 10 million Satoshis at a time. And it's like, well, you're going to have to build a business. But then I had to learn. I had a lot of stuff to learn. So Bitcoin really exposed what I did not know about finances. It helped me, like, get better real quick. And there's still some things I've been looking to learn. I'm always like, and that's something I talk about in my book. You always got to be open to learn, especially when you don't know nothing. It's cool not knowing something, but it's stupid just to sit there and just try to figure it out on your own. So um, with Bitcoin, though, when I really understood what it was, it was just like, well, we're going to have to go get it by any means that's legal and ethical. But it it was a driving force. And without Bitcoin, I hate to say it, I don't know where the hell I'd be today. You know what? I feel similar. Because um, I don't know how much you know, but like anyone who's listening regularly would be like, shut the fuck up, we've heard this so many times. It's so boring. <laughs> but like it's changed my entire life mm-hmm. financially and with the podcast. It came along just at the time I needed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went from losing everything, job, family, 
career, mom, like everything. Uh, and then out of it came this podcast and my investments and completely changed my life. So I like, I, I understand that, dude. So let's talk about the vegan thing. <laughs> it's an int- it is mm-hmm. it is interesting to me because I like I told you before mm-hmm. I, I did 16 years vegetarian mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, two years vegan, but there was like a gap. So I, I went 16 to 26 as a vegetarian, okay. then I stopped being a vegetarian, <laughs> and then about when I was about 30, I think about 30, I went back to vegetarian, mm-hmm. and then uh, when my mum got sick, she went vegan, mm-hmm. so I went vegan with her. Um, and I did it with her, but kind of, there are like ethical things. There are ethical reasons. I do. I don't like industrial farming. Mm-hmm. If I knew where all my meat came from, I would be very picky about it. Mm-hmm. I, when I'm back home, I I only get grass fed beef, etc. Mm-hmm. But if you go into dinner at a restaurant, you got no idea. And I, right. I think industrial farming is fucking gross. It's, it's just it's really wild. Uh, <laughs> shit, it's real wild. But yeah. Um, for me, when I had gone vegan, man, I was so I was going hard at my gym, dime boxing in Charlotte, and I was getting ready for my very first fight. And I wanted to be like lean and clean and cut. So, um, you know, the algorithm on Instagram started showing me this guy by the name of Dr. Sabi. And I was like, well, let's give it a shot. Um, he kept talking about, you know, how you eat is a direct correlation with your health. And I said, all right, well, I'm willing to try anything. This was before Bitcoin. Like, veganism happened before Bitcoin. And um, I remember I was, on the, I, was on the, I was on the Greyhound bus from Atlanta. And I was sitting next to this guy. We were both kind of cramped. So this one woman said, hey, you want to sit beside me? I said, sure. Um, turned out she was a Patriots fan. Nice. But she was also vegan. And I was like, well, you know, are you willing to help me go vegan? She said, yeah. So... She coached me on how to, you know, eat vegan through Snapchat. I would uh, order the food, buy the food, cook it. But um, it was a big change. It was a big change. It's but I want, Yeah. And I wanted that because I was about to have a daughter. I wanted to just introduce her to a different way of eating. Like, I, I noticed that everybody kind of ate the same and then didn't understand, like, you know, why am I getting so much weight? Why am I having these? I'm like, well, you haven't stopped what you're eating all the time. Like, even if you never go vegan, you can at least, like, give your body some type of a change just to see what it's like. Um, but during that time, man, um, I was just ready to change everything. Like, I came home from prison. I wanted to leave everything that I just wanted. I just wanted a big change. And I needed big challenges. Vegan was one of them. And actually going vegan made it easier for me to come into Bitcoin. Um, I started seeing similarities. Like, people would talk shit to me about being vegan. Oh, you know, you eat grass, it's down third. My guy into Bitcoin. Oh, you think you know everything? But I was like, man, I'm catching hell from everybody for years. And, it's, yep. and they're just like, well, you know, you doing this and this, down third. But then as time goes on, you look like a damn genius. So, um, I mean, I was a vegan at the time. Mm-hmm. I got back into Bitcoin because that was... You know, mm-hmm. getting the medical treatment for my mum. And uh, it was probably the healthiest. Some people like some mm-hmm. people listening will be the, like the carnivore types listening right. to this going, vegans are unhealthy. I've seen it always bullshit. Any diet can be healthy as long as you're mm-hmm. doing it in the right way and, yeah. and it can be unhealthy. But I, it was the healthiest I was in my life for a few reasons. First, I was eating, eating clean. I was cooking every single meal fresh, mm-hmm. fresh uh, veg. And I, I learned about all these different, different recipes 
Uh, but I also, because you had to have a lot of discipline to be a vegan. Mm -hmm. So I was quite disciplined at the time. I was disciplined with my time. I was running. I was slim. I was, my times were fast. Like I was running a 23-minute 5K and a was it 50, 53-minute 10K. I couldn't run 5K now. Because, yeah. Uh, that's good. Yeah, but I was good. running. I was like, the guy with Rich Roll got me into podcasting. I was listening to his. Like, I felt good. As many, many times, Justin, I'm telling you now, I've, I've, even as someone who loves a steak, I've thought about going back to being a vegan because I had, had, to, had to have discipline around my time. Mm -hmm. And because I had that, I had it around my diet, my exercise. My whole life was a lot more disciplined. Mm -hmm. um, so I enjoyed it. It was, it was, it's, it was, it's, that transition was real great. And I just started noticing, like, well, with veganism, you're eating outside the standard diet. With Bitcoin, you're not using the standard money. And so one day I went on Google. I typed in Bitcoin vegan. Nothing came up. I typed in oh, Insta this guy. <laughs> Instagram. Nothing came up. I was like, then I called Zay. I said, hey, man, I don't know what I'm about to do, but Bitcoin vegan is going to be the name of it. He said, all right, just run with it. Again, that was in 2016. So... Here we are again, man. Um, I just started noticing similarities, but I wanted to do something different. Like I wanted, I wanted everything. I wanted the hardships. I wanted the challenge because I knew that's the only way you're going to get it. Like you weren't going to, I needed something new. You know what I mean? When I came home from prison, I told someone like, man, if I can go to Harvard, I would. Cause I wanted a challenge. But Bitcoin came around. It was like, this is all you need. This is the only challenge you need right here. And, um, that was those moments right there, 2016, 2015, 2016, 2017, were some real defining moments in my life. I was like 24, 25. And I was just like, man, whatever you do, you got to do it now because you're, you're mid 30, you're mid 20s. You can still, like, you know, in your 30s, you can make a, you can have, you got to make a run. You know what I mean? And if you make the run now, you won't be all the way up into your 30s, you know, still trying to figure it out. You'll still be relatively young in the business and investment world. So you got to make moves immediately. And that's what I saw. So I had to just make that shot, man. Worked out for you. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, when sir. did you write the book? So I wrote the book in the middle of, in the, middle of the pandemic. Um, all right, man. What was funny, I was challenged to write the book by... Zay. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, when Knew he, that was coming. So when he got his first when he got his first national interview, I called him up. I said, man, congrats, bro. All this, that, third. He didn't even say you're welcome. He didn't even say thank you. He said, so when you gonna write your book? I was like, well, I ain't think about it. He said, well, you need to think about it. I'm like, all right. And Zay has this weird way like of saying things. It's like, you know, you might want to do this. I was like, all right. Then I had a business coach. Her name was Jen Godet. She said, Justin, when are you going to write a book? I was like, well, shit, damn. If two people tell me something that don't know each other, I take it as a sign of, all right, let's get it going. So um, when I think I first started putting ink to paper around April 2020, because mm -hmm. I was just trying to find a stopping point. Um, and at first, I used to wake up at 5 a.m., write for about an hour every morning. Until I was like, man, this shit is going to take forever. <laughs> and I'm like, bro, it's 2020, 2020. There has to be some, there has to be a better way to write a book now. So then um, I said, well, let's try to transcribe it. So I would talk into my phone and I was still DoorDash. Like I would DoorDash. I was driving DoorDash 
for a living and to get Bitcoin, but especially in once COVID really, really hit, DoorDash was what I was doing. You can make so much money in a short amount of time without wasting your gas because no one was going anywhere. And I was like, well, this is a good time to do that and buy Bitcoin. Uh, so, but while with DoorDash, I would record me talking into the phone, which chapter I'm on, stop it. Then I would get all the chapters uh, laid out. I would edit them, copy, paste it on the Google uh, Doc form and send it off. When I had everything together, I gave it to my ed- editor, Miss Erica. And from there, you know, it just it was just part of the process, man. So um, the book, I started writing the book in 2020. And sometimes people say, well, it didn't take you that long to finish the book. I said, well, it kind of took me 15 years because that's how much is in the book from 2006 all the way up until 2020. What's the reception been like? Um... Well, I'm still getting, you know, most, a lot of people are liking the book. Um, a lot of people love the cover. And sometimes people are like, oh, I thought you were talking about gold bars or rapping bars. I'm like, well, there is prison yeah. bars on the cover. but um, Yeah, but like, you listed me your heroes and you put down 50, so I thought maybe. <laughs> I feel you. Yeah, 50 is in there. How is he, he the number one rapper you put out there? Come on, man. No, he's not the number one rapper. He's not even my favorite rapper. Why is he on the list then? I'm going to tell you on the list. Because 50 to me, out of everyone I've seen come home from prison, 50 was a GOAT. He's not even a rapper. He, he's just, he was just a businessman that could hustle. Like, he came in the game rapping. He rapped, of course. But now he writes, he writes a, 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 a series on stars. Like, 50 had a way to come into the industry that when I was in prison, I was like, who could I actually model something after? Well, okay. look at how 50 Cent did it. 50 Cent, he busted on the scene to the rap industry. He never stopped. He never stopped going. He just kept going. And when I learned about Bitcoin, I saw it. And I was like, okay, it's some money, but there's a there's a opportunity to build yourself. There's an industry here. And I was like, well, let's let's try that out. So it was just how he came home from prison. Who's your hip-hop goat? Oh, y'all don't want to know that. Yeah, uh, you do. Come on. <laughs> I like Gucci Man. Gucci man. I like him. <laughs> Not for me, man. Not for me. Who you like, man? Oh, God. Uh, do you know R.A. the Rugged Man? No, I haven't heard that. Dude, I've got to play you him. Uh, oh, God, who do I like? Um, there's uh, J. Rude the Damager. Do you know J. Rude the Damager? I've never heard of him Dude, either. I've got some. I've got some... I got some bars for you. Not yeah, you for got, me. I'd be fucking I mean, you terrible. got bars? Okay. No, actual hey. bars. <laughs> send, hey, send, me, send me their info on Twitter. Yeah. Then I'll look them up, man. Um, I, like any... I bet you like Mob Deep. Yeah, I like yeah. Mob Deep. Yeah. I don't like any of the new stuff. My son's into it. I just think it's such, like shit. Let me think. All right, so a rapper that I like that's... Uh, before Gucci, um, it was just random guys probably, but I always like Tupac. Yeah, of course. Um, I like Jay-Z. I like Jay-Z. Mm-hmm. I liked how he handled the handled business though. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's what stood, that's where certain rappers stand out to me. It's not really your lyrics. It's how do you handle your business? You know, even with Gucci Man, like, I'm not saying he's the greatest businessman of all time, but there were point times where he was just always going to jail, going to jail, but he would come right back out and get right back to work. And it's like, how could you not that work ethic? That's another thing. How much work ethic do you really have? You don't have no work ethic. I can't sit here and, and say you're going to be a great rapper or you're going to be great at anything. So these these guys had like 
superb work ethic. Proof of work. Right. And like, how did you handle being a star and also business? Like, I, I didn't really notice, but I'm always looking at how did you continuously, how did you promote longevity? Right? Because everything, a lot of guys would fizzle out at the, at the one to two songs. You don't hear from them no more. So it was about who can promote the best longevity. And I didn't really have anything to pattern after. So that's why that's that's why those guys, like everybody I have as a favorite, it's not necessarily just because of their craft. It's about what lies within them, like a certain character trait. Like mm-hmm. what character trait do they have? It's about, you know, I'm on the how much work ethic you're willing to put in. What will not stop you? You know, like what will not stop you? Will the price of Bitcoin stop you from buying Bitcoin? More times than not, it does for most people. But when you're really dedicated to something, you start seeing the power of how, how bad you want something can get you anywhere. Like, really, how bad I want it got me to where I am today. The number one Bitcoin podcast in the world. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the plan now, man? What are you doing now? What's the future hold? So the plan now is to, uh, of course, continuously promote the book. Um, but also, I'm looking now to do book tours, um, reaching out to different companies about sponsorships, and also looking to um, do projects where I can go inside prisons and actually teach Bitcoin. Um, That's cool. I was, I'm, I'm in talks with uh, people. I don't know how much, you know, if they, if it's died down to them, I bet you if this bull mark kicks in, people will be ready to do something. Yeah, but you know, maybe the angle is slightly different. Maybe it's just saying you're going to teach financial literacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what we said yeah. actually in the in the Trojan horse, you know, <laughs> in the document. But the the thing was like, you know, you had COVID come up, and people are starting to, you know, institutions are starting to be like, oh well, we got to hold back. But my idea is to number one, be able to teach the authentic, the real, real power of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm within the country, within the world, uh, through a book tour. Also take that same type of knowledge and show people who are in prison or coming home how you can use Bitcoin to your advantage. But still teaching the globe and uh, working on a few projects with a few Bitcoin companies to see just what can be done. You know, opening up that landscape. But um, from there, and possibly, not possibly, and look to build a Satoshi standard business. So yeah. it's not going to be the same. I don't want it to be the same. You see everybody have a, some type of financial DCA company. And it's cool. I mean, you know, it's a space we're in. But I look at it like if we're going to have a decentralized community, that means you're going to have to have other services where Bitcoiners are running this company. It's a Bitcoin company, but it doesn't provide the everyday, you know, dollar cost average service, the everyday exchange. Like, I mean, those things are great. But again, if you want a community and you want Bitcoin to be the money of that community— you're going to have community. You're going to have different companies built, period. So um, just continuously taking that to whatever the next level is. Well, I love your hustle, man. I love, <laughs> yeah. And anyone who turns their life around, you know. A- I've bored people to death with the shit I've been through. But like, when you hit like a really bad situation and mm-hmm. it affects you mentally as well and it affects you as a person, as a man, like to try and turn your life around is hard, but like it takes takes a lot of work, a bit of luck, but uh, I really like your story. I'm glad you did it. And I really appreciate you coming in. I appreciate you keep badgering me to do this. But hey, I, man, if I'd have known, it's just like the Bitcoin vegan thing. It's like, oh, I'm not talking about fucking veganism. <laughs> I just feel guilty because I want to be, a, I kind of want to be a vegan again. But like, hey, man, I got you, man. It's all good. Don't worry about well, it. Well, do you know what? If, 
it's one of those things where you're in a, it, like I said, it takes a lot of discipline, a lot of work, especially with traveling. And mm-hmm. I did it. So I did it for a year, not work. I took a year off work after my um, my marriage broke up. Then my company failed and my mom was sick. So I did it for a year. Like it was easy. And then after my mom passed, it was like, it became difficult because I was... Because it's like, that's the person you were doing it with. Yeah, no, it was something, i tell you what, something else though. It was like, what happened was... what. When it, when you don't work, filling a whole day is hard. And I took a year <laughs> off work. Yeah, you know, I I would have naps in the middle of the day because I was bored. I would run or I'd go to the gym. Uh, I'd do anything. I was doing like Pilates with old ladies three days a week just to do something. <laughs> yeah, but the so to go to like buy some fe- fresh veg and, and go and make a meal and find a recipe and spend an hour cooking a meal was like mm-hmm. it was filling my time right and. Mm-hmm. And then what happened was when I went back to work, I didn't have the time, so I started mm-hmm. having processed foods and mm-hmm. pastas and yeah. pasta sauces, and I just ended up feeling shit. Right. Um, so it was it was a lifestyle thing, but I would like to have the discipline to do it again. And maybe maybe I don't do it full time. Maybe I just do it for a few months. But it was it was the time of my life where I had come out of a really shit situation. I was had most clarity, most mm-hmm. discipline, and felt good. Mm-hmm. So it, it isn't something I wouldn't be scared. And it to might do have again. been just the fact that you needed it to be. You know, to bring that. You Dude, know, to I bring did that need it at that time. You know what I mean? Because when you go through something, people always make, I always notice people make a change in their diet when they're in the middle of a transition. You know, you're trying to, you're trying to not run from a situation, but you're trying to grow from it. Mm-hmm. You know, and veganism was that thing. And like you said, you know, uh, rest in peace to your mother. That's something y'all did, you know, and the fact that that timing thing, people don't never take that into consideration. Like, mm. you know, well... I've been doing this at this pace. I'm good. So if I, you just never just implement something that just works. You have to have things are going to happen where time is going to be altered a bit. And going back to work is something that's legit because it's uh you never really planned on how to do this and work at the same time. But got, it's I think you could do it, man. Got to do the work, man. All right, tell me where to get the book. Where do they follow you? Uh, you can get the book from well, the book is live on Amazon. All you right. go from Bars to Bitcoin on Amazon, or you can go to my website. BitcoinVegan.com and just press the shop page. It's the first thing you can buy. You can follow me on Twitter, Bitcoin underscore vegan. Um, You can follow me on Instagram, Bitcoin Vegan Justin, or at LinkedIn, Justin Redrick. Who the fuck got Bitcoin Vegan on Twitter? Huh? Who got Bitcoin Vegan on Twitter? Some spam bot page. I don't know who the hell got that before me, but I was just like, what? We need but, to get that for you. Yo, 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 tell Jack to holler at me, man, please. Yeah, come on, Jack. Get your shit together. <laughs> Dude, love this story, man. Great to see you. Hope you can come, hopefully, if you can come to the fight Saturday, let's see if we can make that happen. Let's I got you on that. And uh, yeah, appreciate you. Appreciate uh, you reaching out. And thanks for coming in. And anything I can do for you, you just let me know, dude. Well, thank you, man. Thank you. I pre- First of all, I appreciate this whole experience. You know, um, again, I told someone, as long as you say yes, opportunities will be there. And hell, got flown out for an interview. So <laughs> it's definitely cool, man. And uh, yeah, we'll be in touch, though. Well, it won't be the last time. But you, me, and Zay will do one. I'll, and do I'll, just, I'll just throw like a, a, a grenade <laughs> and just watch you two go for it. Hey, do that. I like that. Just because you know, I'll, I'll probably walk out the best basketball player again. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, my son would give you a go. Do you know what? I shot my first gun in uh, North Carolina. Really? True story, yeah. My, my third interview with Jameson Lopp. I emailed him. I was like, Jameson, uh, uh, I want to interview you and I want to shoot a gun. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah, we were in, in Raleigh. You took me mm-hmm. to a gun range and I shot my first gun. Good old ah, And that, that's when I stopped being a vegan. 
Oh, so we got to blame Lau. Well, no, we got to blame me just being a dick. So what actually happened was, this is funny. I can't remember this. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so what happened was we were we went to sh- uh, uh, shoot the guns and afterwards he took me to barbecue. I was thinking, look at this big, long bearded dude. He's just too, sh- took me to shoot guns. I didn't like have, I just didn't feel like I could turn around to him and say, uh, I'm a vegan. So I ended up having, like, I ended up having barbecue with them. I was like, fucking hell, Dan, this is, this is good barbecue. How did you feel afterwards? Uh, I felt great. Like, people like, how did you, I said, I felt great. It was good, man. But I do regret it because I've kind of got out of shape again and I just, I know I don't have that discipline. It, it it plays on my mind, man. I do think you're going to end up doing, doing it. You're going to end up doing. I it. think I will. I think it won't. But I, it might not be one of those forever things. Right. I might just do like three months or something. I think you're going to find a find a stride. That's what I think. That's what you're looking for. Just a stride to mm. interject it back into everything you have going on. But it's a focus, like focus that energy, man. But mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see. All right. Listen. Great to meet you, man. All the best. Thanks, Stay in man. touch. Anything you need, you got my details. All right. Okay, if you want to get in touch, you want to reach out to me, you can hop into my Telegram group or hit me up on my email, which is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Outside of that, if you want to support the show, these days all I want is a review on Apple Podcasts. Just head over to Apple Podcasts. Hopefully you think the show deserves five stars. Okay, have a great rest of your week, and I will see you all soon.